Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. You have Brian and Jeff along as usual. And today, Jeff, we are going to be talking about a man who I think we could all consider to be a model Christian, and that's the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul was a very interesting man in that he transformed his life as someone who at one point persecuted Christians openly to become a man who was probably one of the most productive servants of the Lord that we read about in the first century because most of the New Testament was written by Paul, of course, with the review and guidance of the Holy Spirit. So, very interesting man, Jeff, a lot that we can talk about because there's so much that he wrote and so many feelings that he shared that we can learn so much from. Yeah, and certainly, as you indicate, there is a lot of material we do know about him. And in fact, you said, given the fact that he wrote most of the uh, the parts of the New Testament, and in doing so, kind of gave us, and like through, uh, I think, Luke's account in the book of Acts, we do have a lot of insight into Paul and his uh, upbringing and his background and a lot of things he was doing uh, even before he became a Christian and certainly after he became a Christian. So indeed, we do have a lot of material that we can leverage for our understanding and uh, benefit. Well, we certainly do have a lot of material. So for today's podcast, we want to take a look at the Apostle Paul and really understand how, in many respects, he was what we might call a model Christian. You know, as people in general, Jeff, we, I think, would all agree that when we see an example of somebody in our life, it could be our father, it could be a friend, it could be somebody that we know through work, but when they live a life that is admirable, it's not uncommon for us to try to emulate their best qualities. And certainly when it comes to spiritual matters, the Bible is filled with wonderful examples of men and women whose lives we can look at and try to emulate. Now, when we think about Jesus, for instance, Jesus was a perfect example of how a man should live when he was on this earth. In fact, he proved that it's possible for us to live a sinless life. Now, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but that's because of our own doings, if you will, and not because of how God created us, for instance. But, you know, when we look at the different people that we read about, such as Esther and David and Job and Lydia and many others, you know, we see what we might call a picture of godliness. They are wonderful examples, and when we look and admire their life, well, there's no reason why we shouldn't try to emulate them. And so, you know, certainly when it comes to the Apostle Paul, same thing, right? Another exemplary Christian that's a great example for us today that we can learn from. And so, as I mentioned earlier, you know, in many respects, he was a model Christian. Now, as I touched on very early on, you know, we realized from the scriptures that he was a man that was initially known as Saul of Tarsus, who openly persecuted Christians and consented to their death. And he did so because he felt that what they were teaching was contrary to God's word. He All he knew was the old law. And he didn't realize that the promised Messiah, Jesus, had come. And so, once again, he thought he was doing the right thing. And, of course, he found out that he was wrong. However, what's very admirable about Paul 
is that when the truth was revealed to him, he became a zealous and faithful servant of the Lord for many years. In fact, as we also touched on earlier, he wrote most of what we see in the New Testament. And certainly he was guided by the Holy Spirit, but it just shows you how much of a servant he became for the Lord. And so when we think about some of the things that we want to take a look at in this podcast, and one to follow, so this will be a two-part series, the Bible has a lot of information about Paul's life in the Bible by virtue of his writings. And so we want to kind of go through and look at some of the statements made by Paul because they give us insight to his tremendous love and his tremendous dedication to the Lord. And as we go along, we certainly encourage you to jot down some of his inspired statements as they can be really a great source of encouragement to us. And then let's compare ourselves with his life and see where we might be able to emulate him. So Jeff, before I hand it over to you, just one other passage I'd like us to think about as it relates to emulating others, and that's what Paul encouraged the brethren to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, where he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So certainly it's okay to emulate someone who is godly if what they are doing and what they practice matches what we read about in the New Testament. So Uh, Certainly wonderful example, Jeff, and uh, we look forward to being able to learn more about the Apostle Paul and how we can emulate his life. Sounds good. Well, and, you know, certainly we can, uh, as you mentioned, relate to people that we see. Of course, that's that's pretty easy, you know, in terms of being a faithful Christian, in terms of enduring under hardship, in terms of, you know, falling and repenting and being, you know, that's also also a good example. And certainly we will, as we get further into our study, we'll see that in many ways that, that Paul did a, a lot of that. And so not only can we, you know, read about what he did, as we're pointing out, we can, you know, emulate him as a role model as he imitated or emulated Christ. So in, in some ways, it's not necessary that we're over honoring Paul or worshiping Paul or putting Paul on a pedestal and we are Paulites, right? Disciples of Paul, so to speak. Uh, But just basically acknowledging that, you know, we can in many ways, you know, model our life after his as he was modeling his life after, you know, Christ. So anyway, yeah, let's, let's sort of, you know, get a little bit deeper into our study. So one of the very first attributes that we see about Paul that he was basically completely committed to God. Now, that may sound a little bit to our listeners who, if they recall the life of Paul, and as you just mentioned a few moments ago, he was an active persecutor of Christians. And yet, we see, and as as we'll see with a few verses here, that he was as i said you know com- completely you know committed to god committed to serving god etc so first of all we kind of get some insight into paul and his background in acts chapter 22 verse 3 where paul indicates that he was you know very knowledgeable about the law it says quote i am indeed a jew born in tarsus of cilicia but brought up in this city that would be jerusalem at the feet of gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. 
Now, what our listeners may not realize is Gamaliel at the time was a very, you know, respected and honored teacher, a rabbi of the law, law of Moses. And so Paul evidently had had some schooling, if you will, under, you know, Gamaliel. And the other interesting thing about this particular passage that Paul indicated he was, you know, very zealous toward God, as you all are today. Now, if, if you go back to the context of Acts 22, including the previous chapter, chapter 21, you know, Paul had come to Jerusalem, and one of the things that he had done was that he had, you know, gone into the temple area. And some of the Jews in the temple area recognized him since he had traveled, you know, quite a bit, you know, around the, the Roman Empire. And these Jews being zealous toward God, were accusing Paul of defaming the temple. They forcibly ejected him off of the temple grounds. They were beating him. They were seeking to kill him. A great deal of you know, zealousness, as you indicated, since they believed that uh, this uh, Jesus was a you know, false messiah, false Christ, that all these uh, disciples that had, you know, decided to you know, follow him were teaching false doctrine. They were teaching against the law of Moses, yeah, etc. And so out of that zeal, you know, they were trying to put a stop to it. We also see, according to Acts 23, verse 6, where Paul was a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee, and at least according to Acts 26, 5, that was one of the strictest sects of the Jewish religion. So, again, to the point of Paul being very, very zealous for God. He was, you know, completely committed to serving the Lord although even though he was wrong. Uh, Acts 26, uh, verses 9 through 11, he relates, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the high priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. And of course, you know, within that context, you know, I myself thought that I must do. You know, many of the saints, you know, shut up in prison, cast his vote against them, fully agreed. You know, not only fully agreed with them being punished, but took a very active role in doing that. And I like that phrase in particular being exceedingly enraged against them. Now, of course, he was doing that in ignorance. First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me as faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So, yes, very committed to the, to the Lord, learned the truth, and was just as committed afterwards. So it's almost like he was always you know, committed to God, zealous for God, zealous for the truth. In fact, after his conversion in Acts 9. Uh, in fact, Brian, if you want to, can you read Acts 9, uh, verse 20 through 23, to see how he, uh, he responded after his conversion? Uh, yeah, sure. In fact, here Paul is speaking to his Jewish brethren in Damascus, beginning in verse 20 of Acts chapter 9. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem 
and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Yeah, and one of the things I just might add, you know, we look at, you know, how he behaved, you know, before he became a Christian, and we thought, well, how, how awful he was, you know, to persecute Christians and, and actually go out and try and kill him. But if you know, if you remember your Old Testament law, you know, people who proclaim false gods were to be stoned, were to be put to death. You know, that was, that was one of the provisions under the law of Moses to try and keep the people in check, you know, to try and emphasize, you know, the, the God of Israel is the only, you know, only true God. And despite all of the, uh, I'll say the temptations of all the false gods around them, that the people often would, you know, fall into idolatry, that indeed part of the penalty of, you know, going and, you know, serving false gods, and of course, Jesus claiming to be Christ, Jesus claiming to be son of God, et cetera, would, would fall under that, you know, prohibition as well, that, you know, it was a death penalty. So Paul was doing exactly in many ways what the, what the law of Moses required. Now, of course, in this case, Jesus was the son of God, deity, et cetera. But we need to kind of, you know, keep that in mind. So the zeal he had for God previously, almost like just continued with the addition of knowledge, so to speak. And, you know, therein lies kind of a, an important lesson for us, Brian. And that is whenever we find out, for instance, that we're, you know, doing something wrong, are we willing to change? You know, are we willing to acknowledge, oh, I misunderstood, I was misled, I was ignorant, whatever. And okay, fine, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll switch over and I'll, you know, I will do what needs to be done. Or conversely, do we sort of dig our heels in? And, you know, that could be if this, you know, truth that we now understand contradicts what our parents taught us. Of course, you would see that with Paul and how his parents raised him as, as a Pharisee. Certainly, if it contradicts what some influential preacher or pastor might have taught us. And again, Paul, same situation under the feet of Gamaliel, you know, famous rabbi of the time. Uh, you know, are we willing to change, you know, even though it involves, you know, this kind of a, a major turnaround? And again, I think that Brian's probably one of the, the very first lessons that, that we can learn that we, yes, we need to have zeal for God, but that zeal also needs to continue even when we're shown that we're wrong. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to assume if someone is so wicked that they could not possibly want to change and follow the Lord. And, you know, Jeff, as you pointed out, Saul was wicked. No doubt he persecuted Christians, but he did it in ignorance and in unbelief. God knew his heart, and God also knew that once he was exposed to the truth, that he would have the type of heart that would cling to what was right and be as zealous in serving the Lord as he was in persecuting the Lord, once again, ignorantly in unbelief. You know, Jesus said over in the parable of the sower about those who have good and honest hearts and how they respond to the truth. And he said in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15, that those with good hearts are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it 
and bear fruit with patience. And certainly when you look at the life of Paul, that's exactly what he did. Once he learned the truth, he became a hard worker for the Lord, and he was very diligent in keeping and learning and growing in the truth. Well, and while you were talking, I was reminded of a passage over in Romans chapter 10, where in some ways he kind of talks about, to some degree, himself and his fellow Jewish brethren. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 1, starting, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And of course, within this context, the knowledge is that of you know, how God demonstrates his righteousness through Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ. So he, like them, are, were, you know, are, were very zealous, just that in his particular case, you know, he came to a knowledge of the truth and just, okay, fine, and did a 180 and, and sort of, as we said, put behind him, you know, what his parents had taught him, what his religious leaders had taught him, what he had known all of his life and was willing to continue his zeal, but in a totally different direction. Yeah, that's a good passage and some good thoughts about that. appreciate you sharing that. You know, Paul also demonstrated great courage in so many aspects of his life. You know, he was a man who went through a tremendous amount of persecution and difficulties and really could have, on many occasions, literally died, including a time where he was stoned and left for dead. And so certainly Paul talked about, and we see through his life, that he was absolutely willing to die for the cause of Christ. Paul mentioned this to the elders from the church at Ephesus over in Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 through 24. And let's just take a look at a couple of verses there, beginning in verse 22. He says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, you know, he was not afraid to die. In fact, we also see over in Acts chapter 21 and verses 10 through 14, where he mentioned this, that he was not afraid to go to Jerusalem, even when he knew what might happen to him. And we see beginning in verse 10 of Acts chapter 21, here it says, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when he heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, The will of the Lord be done. So just another statement that shows what Paul's mindset was and what he thought about sacrificing, if necessary, his life for the Lord. You know, Paul, in another uh, scenario we read about, in fact, in more than one occasion, Paul did not hesitate to preach the truth when he knew that some of the Jews would be hostile towards him. And we see an example of this over in Thessalonica, 
when in Acts chapter 17 and verse 5 tells us that, you know, the Jews were not persuaded and becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar. And, you know, the brethren, of course, were concerned about Paul's safety and knowing what these Jews were doing. And so the brethren sent Paul and Silas to Berea. And in Acts chapter 17 and verse 13, it were told that when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowd. So the persecution and the threats to his life became common and expected. And, you know, they pursued Paul relentlessly. They didn't like what he was saying and they wanted to kill him. Yet Paul continued to do the work God asked him to do. So, you know, some questions, some application for us today and, you know, questions that we can ask ourselves. Are we willing to take a stand for the Lord, even if it means hostility towards us? Are we willing to suffer persecution? Have you ever thought about, would you be courageous enough to die for the Lord? Now, we may not necessarily face the threat of death in our life, but we can certainly be persecuted and we should certainly think, could we show and demonstrate as much courage as Paul if we face similar circumstances? Yeah, certainly in Paul, we see, as we started the podcast, not only his uh, zeal, continuing zeal for God, but that zeal led him not only to you know accept truth and you know turn his life around 180 degrees uh, in terms of his belief in Jesus and embracing Christianity but also his willingness to as you've talked about express that in terms of being courageous and in doing whatever was needed uh, including being you know persecuted ridiculed I mean I, I suspect if if we had any additional insight, he probably in some ways was alienated from his family, probably lost the respect of many of his, you know, friends and colleagues. Uh, likewise, that had been, you know, taught at the feet of Gamaliel, etc. And in many ways suffered the wrath of the Jews, just like the Christians that he had previously persecuted. And yet, despite all that, you know, he was willing to keep doing what was needed uh, to be done, even up to and including uh, dying. In fact, within the Bible, we have his being arrested and ultimately carried to Rome to stand trial. Outside the Bible, we understand that he was uh, released and then later re-imprisoned. And then eventually in the late 60s was actually put to death for being a Christian. So, uh, you know, certainly a good example that we can emulate if we need to today. But, you know, many of us are not called upon to die, literally, for Christ. But often we have to give up things or are called upon to give up things. And, you know, Paul, same way as I started to allude to, over in Philippians chapter 3, and actually beginning roughly verse 4, Paul kind of gives us insight into his background and some of the things that he had to give up or lose for Christ. Starting with verse 4, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. By any means, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained or already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So certainly, as we've kind of already alluded to, Paul was a you know member of a, I'll say, prestigious, respected religious elite, you know, being of the, the, the sect of the Pharisees. And, you know, we look on, you know, we look down on the Pharisees, but if you contrast them with some of the other sects of uh, Judaism at the time, you know, they were fairly respected by the people. In fact, if you'll notice over in Luke chapter 20, verse uh, 46, where Jesus speaking, he says, Beware of those teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and of the head table at banquets. Now, certainly Jesus was condemning, you know, the, the attitude of loving the praise of men, but at a base level, you know, they were praised by men. You know, they got respectful greetings in the marketplace. There were seats of honor in the synagogue reserved for them. You know, at banquets, they were given special honor. And Paul was part of that religious class. Now, you know, can we sort of apply that to us today? Well, perhaps in some degree. You know, when we learn truth about Christianity, are there, you know, religious groups that we belong to that we suddenly go, oh, oh, I thought they were teaching the truth. But now I realize they weren't. You know, and whether we're talking, you know, Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or whatever, you know, are, are we willing, as Paul was, to set that sort of membership aside and go, you know what, I, I need to follow Christ, uh, despite being a notable member of my congregation, etc. Or how about, you know, if we're in a job or a career that offers us, you know, power and position and prestige, and we come to a knowledge of the truth. And now we suddenly realize, oh, wait a minute, you know, my job does not honor God. You know, for instance, I'm in, you know, the sales and marketing of, of alcohol or at my job, we got to kind of play dirty politics, so to speak, to get ahead or the way we treat our customers. You know, we're expected to lie and cheat, you know, our customers or maybe it's less than that, but we've got to do a lot of travel or we got to spend a lot of hours at work. And that starts to interfere with us worshiping God, you know, on Sundays, any number of different things. You know, are we willing potentially to recognize, yeah, you know, I was pretty high up in my organization, but when I came to a knowledge of the truth, 
I realized I, I had to give it up. I had to give up my job or I had to give up my career or I had to change jobs, et cetera. Uh, likewise with Paul in the context, as I mentioned earlier, about potentially having to give up uh, friendships and relationships and maybe even being at odds with members of his own family when we come to a knowledge of the truth. In fact, that concept may surprise some people, but Jesus warned us, you know, Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 51, where it says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, no, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided. Three against two, two against three. Father will be divided against son, son against the father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You know, the religious division, if you will, that will split a family because some people want to cling to, you know, old ways or the wrong ways. And one or other, more members of the family will come to a knowledge of the truth and obey the truth. And now that puts them at odds with the rest of the family. And I suspect that, that Paul probably had to suffer and endure that and, and give that up uh, as well. Those close, you know, very close family ties um, or other things that you know may make our life uh, comfortable or we find pleasurable or whatever that we, as as Christians having come to a knowledge of the truth we realize that you know it's not according to what God would want us to do how he would want us to live how he'd want us to, us to spend our time etc and so you know counting things that we thought were important to us, even though they were against God's will, as rubbish and being willing to give up those things for Christ. We certainly see that as, as an excellent example in the example of Paul. Brian, any thoughts? Yeah, that's a very good point because, you know, we were we started out by talking about or referring to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. What you're pointing out here in Philippians three seventeen, when he says, you know, join in following my example— that example would include him changing when it, he needed to change and being willing to give up, as you mentioned, that stature, being uh, well-respected in the eyes of the Jews and all of that because he realized he needed to change and follow Christ, and he was willing to give up all of that because it just was much more important to him. So appreciate that point. So next, let's consider how Paul genuinely loved brethren. And this is something that really shows through in his writing. You know, one thing that we see from Paul is that he always desired to see Christians grow and to be grounded in the truth. And he often mentioned that in his writings to them. So just one example is over in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, speaking to the church at Ephesus, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, very eloquently conveying his hope from them, that they would be rooted and grounded in love and strengthened and become knowledgeable. We also see throughout Paul's writings that he warned brethren 
I mean, if you think about this period of time, here we are in the first century. They've just transitioned from the old law, which where they were, you know, deeply committed to, and many of the Jews obviously followed for years. And now they were being shifted to a new covenant. You know, once Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the old law. They now were under the law of Christ. And a lot of the Jews didn't want to give up the old law. A lot of the Jews rejected this teaching of Christ. And so Paul warned the brethren that there would be many that would not only try to bring them back into Judaism, but there were also many other false teachings that were out there, false messiahs, those kinds of things. And so, for instance, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Let no man deceive you with empty words. Notice he says that there, and, and he's, so he's warning them. You know, we're going to be teaching you the truth, but realize you're going to hear a lot of other things, including, of course, going back to that old law, if you will. And Jeff, if I could get you to read one more passage, and that's over in Acts chapter 20. We were talking earlier about how Paul met with the elders at Ephesus, kind of, you know, telling them, hey, this, you know, be the last time that I see you. So therefore, I have some sort of uh, parting advice, if you will. And he gives them some advice as it relates to watching out for false doctrine. So Jeff, if you'd be willing to read Acts 20, verses 28 through 31. Sure. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Yeah, so he realized what would happen after he departed, and that just over time, and really I think we could all say that if you're a member of a church for any length of time, you know, on occasion there will be people that come in and they will try to bring in some new doctrine, or they'll maybe bring in some twist, if you will, to existing doctrine. And so, you know, when you think about a church, if they're scripturally arranged and they have elders, or if they don't have elders, it's really the responsibility of all members to say, you know what, we need to watch out for anybody uh, that's trying to bring in any type of false doctrine. And so really, you know, illustrates, of course, the love that Paul had to make sure to warn them. You know, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, it's really an admonition to all of us where it says that we are not to believe what men say blindly. But we are to test them to see if what they're teaching is consistent with God's word, because as it says there in 1 John 4, 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So this is an admonition, certainly, that we should follow today, much like we read up in Colossians, or, or just a little while ago in Colossians, you know, chapter 2 and verse 8, that, you know, there's going to be traditions of men, principles of the world, and so we have to be careful that we're not cheated by this false doctrine. You know, the other thing that we see that uh, from Paul is that he constantly prayed for his brethren. And I'll just give our listeners a few passages that illustrate this if you'd like to look at them. In fact, in just about every 
first part of the letter that Paul wrote to different churches, he would convey the fact that he prayed for them constantly. So for instance, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, uh, to the church at Colossae, Colossians 1, 9 through 11, and even the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, you'll see Paul make statements about him praying constantly for them, that they were always on his mind. You know, Paul was also willing to rebuke brethren when necessary. And so, for instance, when you think about the church at Corinth, if you're familiar with the situation there, when Paul wrote them a letter, he basically asked them, you know, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? He asked that question because the church there was allowing a man who was sexually immoral. He was having a relationship with his father's wife. And they were allowing him to continue to worship as if everything was great. Well, Paul understood, of course, that was unacceptable. And so when he talks about bringing a rod, that would be a rod of correction. And so he, if you read through 1 Corinthians there, chapters 4, chapter 5, he really makes it very clear that they had to put this man out of the church until he repented because it wasn't appropriate for them to allow him to continue to worship there. Even Peter, you know, a fellow apostle Paul rebuked, and we see this over in Galatians chapter 2, verse beginning in verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul said, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So, you know, Peter did not want to be seen eating with these men. So when he saw his brethren come along, he would separate himself. And so, you know, it's just another example of even though Peter was an apostle, he was still a man. He still had free will. He could still make mistakes. And so Paul did what was right, and he rebuked him. Uh, Barnabas got caught up in the same thing, and so Paul rebuked him. And, And so this is just an example of how not only was Paul willing to do this and, you know, showed the wherewithal to do that. But as Christians, sometimes it may be necessary for us to do this as well. And it's not like we want to run around, you know, Jeff, pointing our finger in people's faces, right? But the truth is, if people are in sin, you know, we can do it as we read in Galatians 6.1, right, with a spirit of gentleness. But nonetheless, there might be times where we need to rebuke them. Right. And, you know, as you sort of kicked off this section, you were talking about, you know, how Paul, you know, loved uh, the brethren. And certainly, as you pointed out, he manifested that love in a number of different ways. And, you know, first of all, you know, commending them where that's important, as we should as well. Praying for them, uh, as we should as well. Warning, uh, as we should as well. But yeah, sometimes, you know, love, and I might use the modern term tough love, yes, uh, would have us, if we need to, you know, go that extra mile, so to speak, and actually confront, you know, try to train or try to try to teach, try to encourage, but sometimes, you know, as you said, uh, potentially warn, potentially rebuke, and maybe even to the point of potentially needing to disfellowship a person all out of what we would understand true love uh, to be. So yeah, definitely a good example there from Paul. All right, so continuing forward, 
Uh, we certainly see from Paul's example where he very actively uh, encouraged others, as should we. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 58 is one passage that touches on this subject. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So basically, you know, Paul here and in many other places, we're encouraging his fellow Christians, you know, to be strong, to be unwavering, to, you know, keep on keeping on, so to speak, as we might say today. You know, always abounding in the work of the Lord, encouraging them to be, you know, to work and to be active, etc. We see from uh, other passages as well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, where he, you know, continues this theme of encouraging brethren to be faithful and to grow. Colossians 1, 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. To the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he wrote, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And then through Titus, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and, you know, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, uh, to speak evil of uh, no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to, to all men, etc. So, you know, certainly we can follow that example as Christians and encourage our, you know, fellow brethren to, as I said, you know, keep on keeping on, be steadfast, continue to grow, continue to, you know, evidence the, the fruits, if you will, uh, of our faith. Brian? Yeah, and this idea of, you know, encouraging others, Paul was really hopeful that those who he taught, and as he went on, you know, went through many different what we might call missionary journeys and spent time with these brethren, really got to know them, so to speak, he realized that that knowledge that they had of the Lord would carry them a long ways. And, you know, we certainly uh, admire him for all the work that he put in and teaching others. And as you pointed out there in Titus, you know, not only following the Lord, but being subject to rulers and authorities, obeying the government, even though when it may be very difficult to do so. Ultimately, he just encouraged them to do what was right and certainly a good example uh, for us. Agreed. And so, Brian, I think that brings us up to sort of like the first half uh, of our podcast, and we're going to kind of wrap it up here. Do you want to give people kind of a uh, teaser of what they may hear in part two? Yeah, so what we're going to be talking about in part two is how Paul was steadfast. And we'll see, you know, based on a dictionary definition, how that meant he was firmly loyal and constant. So we'll look at how he was a, he was steadfast as a Christian. We'll also look at some passages that show that he was clearly strong in the faith. And then we'll move on and talk about how Paul was content in all circumstances in his life. Such a wonderful example of a man who could remain content even during the most challenging of times. Then we'll shift gears and we'll talk a little bit about how Paul had a proper perspective and what that means. Then we'll talk about how he was focused on the goal of eternal life and how we also should be focused on that same goal. And then we'll wrap up uh, you know, our looking at Paul as an example by discussing and showing how from the scriptures we're clearly taught that he persevered and how, once again, as Christians, we should strive to do the same. And then we'll wrap up that part two of this podcast by taking a look at a couple of questions that were submitted about Paul. So, Jeff, that's what we'll do, uh, Lord willing, next time. 
Thank you. Appreciate that teaser, if you will, for our listeners. Certainly after the end of part two, we will give our listeners some uh, detailed uh, topics back at our website to go uh, look up. But at least for now, for the time being, certainly if you go into our website at biblequestions.org, look under the topics menu item. At the very least, you can look up P for Paul. And certainly we've got a, a lot of others you can look up, but I think we'll probably save those for last or for the uh, for the next section. So uh, until next time, certainly uh, leverage the resources of the website as well as your Bible and certainly uh, put those things into practical application to help you become a Christian or help you become a better Christian. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.